Psalm 138 of David. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple, and I will praise your name for your love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. When I called, you answered me. You made me bold and stout-hearted. May all the kings of the earth praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hands. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, when we hear the Psalms, or any part of Scripture really, read in church or in our family devotions or sung in our songs, it is easy for us to let the strangeness of these words pass us by. For many of us, we've grown up with the Bible. The words and stories are familiar to us, comforting even, especially for those of us who maybe remember the sanitized Sunday school versions better than we remember the actual text, much of scripture seems rather tame, when the reality is that these words, these stories, these songs, when given the full force that they would have carried in their historical context, are shocking, subversive, powerful, and really quite strange. And Psalm 138 is no exception. We sing the words with grateful heart, my thanks I bring before the great, your praise I sing. And so often these words simply wash over us like any other declaration of praise to God, like any other worship song, like any other words of compliment or encouragement that we might offer. This is a little bit of a tangent, but this is why the work of Bible translation, I think, is so important. Because the meanings of words change over time. The word awesome, for example, some of you might remember when the word awesome was used pretty well exclusively to refer to God. Over time, though, the word awesome changed. Now it means something closer to cool or exciting. And some people bemoan this fact and think that we should make the word awesome about God again. But that's not the only word in our language that has changed meanings. The words terrible and hilarious, for example, used to refer to the fear of the Lord and the joy of the Spirit. 
something was considered terrible if it inspired holy fear of God. Something was considered hilarious if it inspired the heartfelt joy of knowing God's love. But words change over time. And one of the really awesome things that Bible translators are doing, that was a little bit of a joke, awesome thing. One of the really cool things that Bible translators are doing nowadays is trying to use words that have the same cultural impact for our society that the Hebrew and Greek words would have had for the society that they were first proclaimed in. To make the words of scripture as strange, as powerful, as disruptive, as challenging as they were when they were first written. And that's what I hope to capture in the meditation on this psalm this evening. The kind of in-your-face, protest, subversive nature of this psalm. As the psalmist sings before the powers of the world, before the gods, before the kings, before the proud, of his wholehearted unyielding devotion to God alone. This might not seem like a big deal for us today. Just another declaration of praise like we see throughout the scriptures. But what the psalmist is doing here is declaring his praise of God in protest against the powers of this world, against the powers and authorities over him. In a world of kings who claim to be gods, who demand homage and even worship as a civic duty, to declare in the presence of the so-called gods a wholehearted devotion to the Lord would have been considered an act of political subterfuge. To declare as an act of worship that all the kings of the earth will one day praise the Lord and heed the decrees of the God of Israel is to declare that the authority claimed by the kings and the princes, by the powers of this world, is simply an illusion, simply a loan from the one true God. And even they, even with all their power and might, even they will be called to account for their actions. There is a judge who judges even the Almighty. The Almighty on earth, not the Almighty God. I think that in large part, especially in the Western world where Christians have known power and privilege in society for so long, we've lost this sense of what worship is. You look at the preaching of North American churches, especially white North American churches, over the last century, and how they talk about power in their sermons. And largely, North American preachers have called the people of God to submit to authorities because God has put them in place. And that is in scripture. We are to honor and respect the authorities that God has placed over us. But there is also a sense in scripture 
in which we call authorities to account, in which we protest the injustice exercised by the powerful, in which we rage against the abuse of power in this world. There are pockets of North American Christianity where this sense of worship as protest has been preserved. I think of the civil rights movements in both the United States and Canada. Even the new civil rights movement that scholars tell us is going on right now. And I see black and brown Christians calling their governments to account, reminding elected officials that there is a power beyond the judiciary, beyond the legislature, beyond even the ballot box to which they will be held to account. I think of Bree Newsom, the civil rights activist from South Carolina who climbed a 30-foot flagpole to take down a Confederate flag in front of her state legislature. And she climbed the flag and the flagpole and took down this flag and cried out to the people who had gathered, you come against me with hatred, with oppression, with violence. I come against you in the name of God. This flag comes down today. In the ancient world, this sense of worship as protest was profoundly important because religion and politics were all mixed up together. When Pastor Amanda and I went to the Middle East a few years ago, we spent one of our days in the ancient city of Petra. And today, Petra is known for its ornate tombs carved into the rock, but in ancient times, it was known for its high place. And so, for part of our tour, as part of our tour, we climbed to Petra's high place. A two-hour walk up stairs carved into the side of a mountain of rock in the middle of the desert. Yeah. <laughs> And in ancient times, the Nabataeans would make this climb to sacrifice their children to the gods for rain. Because that was what the gods demanded. From the top of this high place, you can see for miles around. You can see over mountains, over hills, to the far horizon. And in this place, at the highest point in all the land, the people of the ancient world would come to worship the high and mighty. And our psalmist rages against that. And he does it through worship. Before the so-called gods, he offers all of his praise to the true God. Before kings who claim divine right, the psalmist declares that all powers, 
will answer to the judge of all the earth. From the foot of the high places, the psalmist declares that the true God does not favor the proud who climb mountains to seek him. That even though God is exalted above all things in heaven and on earth, he looks upon the lowly, the meek, the humble, the poor. He concerns himself with them. He attends to their need. The great, the proud, the powerful, the rich. God keeps them at a distance to bring them down from their high places to judgment. All who abuse their power will be brought low. Even the mighty who consider themselves gods will be called to account. Sisters and brothers, it is in this great and ancient tradition that we gather for worship. Elect from every nation, God calls us to this place. And in the presence of the powers and principalities of this world, who pretend at ultimate power, who lay claim to this world and its inhabitants, we proclaim our wholehearted devotion to the one true God who created all things, who is above all things, above all powers, and who comes to us, even to the lowly, stepping down from his heavenly throne to show mercy, to heal, to restore, to forgive. Jesus in the Gospels offers kind of a tongue-in-cheek version of this same political protest. One day while he was teaching in the temple courts, some of the religious and political officials came up to him with flattering words in an attempt to lure him into a trap. And they said to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by any powers because you pay no attention to them and you teach the true way of God's word as it is. So tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus, Jesus sees through the trap. He calls them out a little bit. He says to them, why are you trying to trap me? And he doesn't even wait for their answer. He, he knows why they're trying to trap him. And so he says, bring me a coin and let me look at it. And so they bring him a coin. And he asks them, whose image is on this coin? Whose inscription? And they say, Caesar's. And Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And give to God what is God's. 
And the Gospels tell us that everyone was amazed at Jesus because of this. Not because any of the things he said were things they didn't know, but because by bringing these two truths together, Jesus in this passage exposes the lies of the powers of this world. Caesar may own your banks. Caesar may mint your money. Caesar may rule your empire. But all creation belongs to God. So yes, give Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give Caesar the money he printed for you when he asks for it back. But give God what belongs to God. And don't let anybody else demand that of you. Give God your life. Give God your worship. Give God your allegiance. Give God your wholehearted praise. When we gather for worship, we give God our praise. We do not give it to anyone else. And though the powers of this world may vie for our allegiance, we proclaim against them that all things belong to God. We bear witness in song, in word, and in prayer to the mighty acts that God has accomplished for us in Christ, to the faithfulness he has shown us throughout our lives, to the transformative power of his spirit in our hearts, we declare that we belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, the true King over heaven and earth, in whom we trust and in whom we have our hope. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, O oh Lord our God, we offer you what is yours, our praise, our prayers, our loyalty, our life. We give you thanks for all that you have given us. And Lord, we pray for the day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We long for that day, O Lord our God, when you will return and bring peace on this earth, bring an end to injustice, hatred, and cruelty, and restore all things to yourself. And so, O oh Lord, we pray that as we 
journey through this dark world. That you would give us the strength by your spirit. To declare justice where there is none. That you would give us the strength to cry out with those who are oppressed. Oh Lord our God, we pray that you would bring peace on this earth. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.